You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. as I am holy. Allow Him to make that process in you and change the life you now have. Now, I don't care where you are. If you think you're perfect, you're in a bad place. We all have a long way to go. God's willing. God is so willing to deal with you, to strive with you, to help you, and to give you His love. Never think that you can't come to the Lord. Pastor Dave encourages you in today's message to not let anything keep you from coming into the presence of God. No amount of past mistakes will convince Him to turn away from you. God is always near to the brokenhearted. Come to Him and let Him help you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7 as he continues his message. Are you stiff-necked? Word of God is supposed to do. When we listen to it, the Holy Spirit does something in our lives and He makes it profitable to us. And if you look at these verses clear enough, Paul's declaring the purpose of the Bible. This is what the Bible is supposed to do. The Bible is supposed to enable us to have a correct, systematic understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is as the Messiah, of who the Holy Spirit is. Our relationship is man to God, the plan of redemption, and the hope for a heavenly future. The Bible enables us to know God and how we should live by His Word. The Word of God reproves us if we go astray from the straight path that He's placed us on. And the Word of God centers us onto that narrow pathway towards holiness. The Bible corrects us when we're wrong or when we're doing wrong. The Word of God is used to instruct us as how to live rightly and how to live that our lives might be pleasing to God and that we might have fellowship not only with God but live in harmony one to another. The Bible teaches us that. The Word of God is essential for obtaining spiritual maturity. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. That we might become thoroughly furnished for every good work, so we might be equipped to be all that God has called us to be, to do all that God has called us to do. When the Word of God comes into our heart, it gives us power over sin. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. But something's happening with the counsel. Something's happening in the council. As Stephen speaks, he's seeing the council. He's seeing their reaction. The Word of God is not accomplishing something in them. It's not accomplishing what it's supposed to be accomplishing. Their hearts are hardened. They're stiff, and they don't want to move. They're not believing, and, and he realizes that they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting the one God sent. They're rejecting Jesus Christ again and again. And he gets really, really angry, and he cries out in this loud voice, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you do also. Trust me on this, folks. If there's one thing the council heard that day, they heard this. They might not have listened to anything else that Paul was saying, but when he spoke these words, their eyes lit up. And they heard it. And they were angered beyond belief. 
Stephen chooses several phrases here that are all too familiar with the council. The phrase stiff-necked, the phrase uncircumcised in hearts and ears, and the phrase resisting the Holy Spirit. In fact, the term stiff-necked is not new at all. It appears some 20 times in the Old Testament. 20 times in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are called stiff-necked. This is never a positive thing, by the way. It's never a positive thing when they're called stiff-necked. God himself called them stiff-necked. God himself declares them in Exodus 29 verse, excuse me, in Exodus 32 verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. God himself is causing, calling Israel stiff-necked. And in the very next verse, God decides that he's going to wipe out the entire nation and start over because of their stiff-neckedness. Because they were stiff-necked. God was going to wipe them out. He was going to wipe them out and start completely over. If you look at the next verse in verse 10, now therefore let me alone. He's talking to Moses. That I may, my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. He's saying, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to kill every single one of them. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And I'm going to make another nation. That's how mad he was about them being stiff-necked. That's how mad he was and that's how strongly he feels about this type of people. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? Well, with the help of Webster's 1828 Dictionary, I found these things. To be stiff-necked means to be stubborn. It means to be inflexibly obstinate and um, contemptuous. Contemptuous means literally swelling or haughty. Obstinate, perverse, stubborn, inflexible, unyielding, disobedient. (laughs) Stubborn means to be unreasonably obstinate, inflexibly fixed in opinion, not to be moved or persuaded by reasons, inflexible. Obstinate means to be stubborn. You see the picture here? You get, the, you get to feel here, perniciously adhering to the opinion and purpose, fixed firmly in resolution, not yielding. And unyielding means unbending, unpliant, stiff, firm, obstinate. These are not flattering words. These are not good things to be said. But I have to ask you, does any of these words describe your relationship with the Lord? Do any of these words now describe your relationship with the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Have you truly given everything that you can give to the Lord? Have you presented your life and said, Lord, here's my life, take it all. Or are you holding back some things? Are you holding back some things because there's some stubbornness in you? Oh, there's a lot of stubbornness in my flesh. There's some stubbornness in my flesh that the Lord likes to work on. Okay, Dave, we're going to work on this. Oh, not that one. Yeah, we're going to work on that one. And if I don't yield it to him, he starts working on something else. But guess what? Sooner or later, he comes back and goes, Dave, we're going to work on that one again. Not that one. He always wants to work on those things in our lives. You know, there's a saying that goes, it's quite simply, he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord of all at all. Hmm. Have you given them your entire life? Every single part of you? That's what Stephen's accusing them of doing. You obstinate, stubborn people. You inflexible people. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. You always are doing the wrong things just like your fathers, he's saying. He accuses them of being uncircumcised in their hearts and in their ears. Prophet Jeremiah describes this in 9.26 of his, uh, his book. He says, Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Uncircumcised in the heart. See, the rite of circumcision was given to Abraham, but it was intended as a spiritual thing. It was intended as a spiritual thing. It was the idea of cutting away the flesh life. 
You weren't to live after the flesh any longer. You were to walk and live after the Spirit. It was a mark of a people who were to be a spiritual people and a people who were to be spiritually oriented. And they were supposed to be spiritually minded in contrast to the fleshly man or the worldly man who wants only the material things, who wants only the pleasures of this world, the materials of this world. There's a difference there. God's people weren't supposed to be dominated by the materialistic things. They weren't supposed to be dominated by fleshly things. They were a people that were supposed to be dominated by what is spiritual. The sign of the spiritual covenant that God gave them was circumcision. But Israel kept that covenant physically in a great way. Every eighth day, the children were circumcised. They kept that covenant, but only in a physical way, not in a spiritual way. And Paul, through his epistles, brings out the whole inconsistency of this ritual apart from the reality of the law. Is it possible for today for people to have certain religious rituals and not have the reality of the relationship with God? Is that possible? Are they just going through the motions? Are they just going through these rituals day after day? I just come to church because that's what I do on Sunday. Or is there something else in your life? Isn't this what Christ told the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.4? You've left your first love. You're going through the Martians. You're doing all these things, but you've left your first love. Where are you in your relationship with me? It's possible that people today could be in the same state as the children of Israel were if they're depending upon some things outwardly. They're outward things instead of the reality of God and who is interested in only what happens in your heart. God is only interested in what happens, what happens in your heart. And so he said, circumcise therefore the flesh of your heart. And Paul picks up on this in Romans in the second chapter and says, the true circumcision is not of the flesh, but of the heart. Get rid of the fleshly part of your heart and spiritualize it. Be ye holy as I am holy, he said. That's what he's talking about here. It's my heart alienated from a life of the flesh. I have to put the flesh down, reckon the old man dead, leave the flesh behind. My heart no longer longing after things of the flesh, but a heart that now longer longs after God. What does that look like, Dave? I want to know what the life of that looks like. David said it perfectly in Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul is after thee, O my God. Is that your desire for God? Is that your desire for God, panting after him like you're, you're so thirsty? The psalmist in, in 63, verse 1 says, my soul, my soul thirsts for thee as in a dry and parched land. Do you thirst for God like you need a drink of water? Do you thirst for God like you're in sometimes? I mean, come on, you've been out there. It's been a hot summer. Maybe you're doing something, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, am I thirsty? i got to have that drink of water. Is that how you are towards God? i got to have God in my life. i got to let him do what he needs to do. This is the kind of people God is looking for, those who are spiritually minded, those who are spiritually oriented, those who are thirsting after him with their heart and in their life and wanting to live a spiritual life that's dedicated to him. These are the kind of people that God wants, and these are the kind of people that God uses. These are the kind of people that he wants us to be. Stephen seems to take these two phrases, stiff-necked and uncircumcised, and adds them together. Could he be referring to Deuteronomy 10.16 when it says, The Lord says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. This theme is constantly repeated throughout the prophets. In Jeremiah 4.4, he says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. To fulfill God's law, it takes more than being given a command. It takes inner transformation. A transformation that only God can do, only by His Holy Spirit. So my question would be is, are you yielded to the Holy Spirit today to allow Him to do what needs to be done in your life? God commanded Israel to do something. And he commanded them to do something that only he could do. God's not asking you to do something on your own. 
He's going to give you help. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to do it for you. But you have to allow him to do it. This inner transformation, and he's compelled to seek this inner work. But Israel resisted him. Israel resisted God. Stephen continues, he says, You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you did also in 751b. Just like their fathers. They were not only not influenced by the methods God took to reform them, but they engaged and were incensed against him. In fact, they did everything opposite of what they were supposed to do. They came against God. They resisted the Holy Spirit in several ways. First of all, they resisted the Holy Spirit speaking to them by the prophets, whom they opposed and contradicted. They hated. They ridiculed. I mean, read in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Faith, what they did to the prophets. They sawed them in half. They stoned them. They boiled them in water, boiling water. They did horrible things to the prophets who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak God's word into their, into their lives. They resisted the Holy Spirit. Secondly, their fathers resisted the spirit of the prophet that God raised up. They stoned them. They did everything. To, and they resisted Christ and the ministers because, look, right now, Stephen's on trial. They're still resisting what God is trying to do. Thirdly, they resisted the Holy Spirit, striving with them in their own consciences. They would not comply with the convictions of the dictates them. Is God convicting you of something today? Is God telling you about something that needs to be changed in your life? Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't be obstinate toward God. You can have your pity party. You can have your screaming, yell, and holler like a little kid and pound your feet and pound your arms, but God will just walk away from you and say, I'll be back. You do that for a while. God wants to change you. Why does he want to change you? So that you can minister to others, so that you can be a joy, that you can be a light, so the gospel message will come out of you. He wants to make you equipped for every good work, thoroughly equipped, it says. They resisted the striving with their own consciences. The Spirit strove with them as it did in the old world, but in vain. It struggled with them, and they, they resisted. You know, there's always something sinful in our hearts that always resists the Holy Spirit. I said that before. It's a flesh that lusts against the Spirit. Paul says they're at enmity one to another. The spirit and the flesh are fighting. There's a war going on for control of this body. But if we would just give to God, if we would allow God access to our bodies, if we would give full reign to the Holy Spirit over our hearts, then the fullness of time came, this resistance would be, would be able to overcome and we would be able to overpower the sinful nature. We would be able to stand forth and say, no, I serve God and God alone. We would have that power, the Holy Spirit with us. We would be able to bring every thought into captivity, as it says in 2 Corinthians. When you resist the Holy Spirit, you resist the work of God in your life. It's like actually telling God, I don't want that. You don't want what God wants for you? You don't want the best in the whole wide world? No, Lord, I'd rather be sitting here eating this garbage than having that filet mignon. I like snooping around in the garbage. I don't want that filet. You can keep that for yourself. But that's what we're telling God when we don't want the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're telling Him that we don't want that. We're saying no to God. We're being stiff-necked. We're saying, no, I don't want it, God. Is that what we're telling God? In Acts 7, 52 for 53, when we finish out, it says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the directions of the angels and have not kept it. Now his point here is unmistakable. As Israel was in its history, you are like that today. You are become betrayers and you become murderers. Israel was proud that they received the law of God. They were so proud that they had the law. That was one of their prideful things, but guess what? They didn't obey it. 
They didn't keep it. You've always persecuted and killed the prophets, the ones who foretold of the, of the Messiah. And guess what? You killed the Messiah too. Israel, you haven't changed a bit. You're stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised in the heart and ears just like your father's heart. It's the climax of Stephen's speech. It's a personal application cut straight to their heart. Throughout the centuries, Israel has always refused to submit to God and obey the truths that he's revealed to them. And guess what? They're still doing it today. They're resisting the truth. Don't you resist the truth. Do not resist the truth of God in your life. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Their ears couldn't hear the truth that God revealed to them. They wouldn't submit. Their hearts wouldn't receive it. And their necks wouldn't bow. They were stiff-necked. One of my favorite writers, Warren Wiersbe, says this about the nation Israel. He said, The nation refused to accept the new truth of God, which he was revealing from age to age. Instead of seeing God's truth as seed that produces fruit and more seed, the religious leaders embalmed the truth and refused to accept anything new. By the time Jesus came to earth, the truth of God was encrusted in so much tradition that people could not recognize God's truth when he did present it. Men's dead traditions had replaced the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, I see that today. I see that in churches today where men's traditions, men's rituals have supplanted the word of God. What a disastrous place to be. What a scary place to be. So I guess the question I have to ask today is the, is the title of this message, are you stiff-necked? Other questions I have to ask can be, do you have an uncircumcised heart or uncircumcised ears? And finally, are you resisting the Holy Spirit? I used to be a school teacher, so it's time for a quiz. Class, get your pencils and papers out. We're going to have a quiz today. And there's only two questions on the quiz. Only two questions. Two questions on the quiz. Here's the first question. You can answer it in your head. Are you going to heaven? That's the first question. The second question is, how are you getting there on what basis? Are you going to heaven? And how are you getting there and on what basis are you claiming you're going to heaven by? If you're trusting in your church attendance, if you're trusting in your good works towards others to get into heaven, you're trusting in the wrong things. If you're trusting in the fact that you were raised in a religion, you're trusting in the wrong thing. If you're trusting in the hope of being a good person, you're trusting in the wrong thing. If you're trusting in the rituals of a religion that you used to belong to or still belong to, if you're trusting in the traditions of men, you are trusting in the wrong thing. These are the things that the nation Israel was doing. These are the things that Stephen pointed out to him. This is what you're trusting in. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be uncircumcised of the heart. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Don't trust in those things. They were wrong because they resisted the Holy Spirit. However, you can secure a place in heaven and only by faith in Jesus Christ. Only by confessing your sins. Only by accepting His sacrifice of, on the cross for your sins and only by believing into a relationship with Him. Surrender your life to Him. Believe into His death and believe into His resurrection. Remember those three consecutive nights of preaching by Whitefield? You must be born again. That's scriptural. And if you don't like it, argue with God. Don't argue with the messenger. John 3, 3, Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This born-again experience, accepting Christ into your heart, confessing your sin, repenting and coming to Him 
means simply turning away and coming to Him, allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, and it'll change your life forever. To those that have a relationship in Jesus Christ, is there evidence of your, in your life of the Holy Spirit working now? Is there evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit working now? Are you see yourself becoming closer and closer to God, or is there no change at all? If there's no change, I have to question you. There needs to be a change in your life. Things will change. Are you trusting in the Holy Spirit? Has your life changed? Or, on the other hand, are you stiff-necked? Are you obstinate? Are you stubborn? Are you inflexible? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit complete access to your life? To be what God wants you to be, to, to, to what God has for you. We've said this a million times here. If God wants it for you, why don't you want it? Why don't we want everything that God wants for us? It's God. Why do we not want those things of God? Lord's challenging you today. I'm challenging you today. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Come to the Lord and allow Him to, be cha to change you. Allow Him to wash you by the water of His Word and change your life. Allow Stephen's testimony and the message you've heard cut to your heart, but let it not be in vain. Let a change become. Another one of my most favorite authors and favorite people is Spurgeon. Listen to what he says about Stephen's testimony. I quote, the, greatest, the greatness of Stephen's sermon is not only its in content, but in its courage. He takes a sharp knife of the word and rips up the sins of the people, laying open the inward parts of their hearts and the secrets of their souls. He could not have delivered that searching address with greater fearlessness had he been assured that they would thank him for the operation. The fact that his death was certain had no other effect upon him than to make him even more zealous. God is wanting to do a marvelous work in your life. God wants to do a magnificent, wonderful work in your life. And Scripture says He will complete that work if we allow Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done in your life. Come into the abundant life that He has given you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come into the abundant life that is available by the Holy Spirit, the abundant life, the promised land that He's given you. Come into that life and have joy unspeakable. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of trials, regardless of things that are going on in your life, because the joy will be so deep in your heart, you won't know what to do with yourself. Paul calls it the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And what does that do? It guards my heart and it guards my mind. Because it comes from God's Word. He's offering that to us today. Come. Come and partake. Come and partake. Be ye holy as I am holy. Allow Him to make that process in you and change the life you now have. Now, I don't care where you are. If you think you're perfect, you're in a bad place. We all have a long way to go. But God's willing. God is so willing to deal with you, to strive with you, to help you, and to give you His love. He has sent His Holy Spirit to do the exact same thing. The main question is, the final statement I have, are you willing to let Him? You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on praise. Sure.